Kiki ma ma ma. Welcome back to the Masters of Horror as presented by the Cult Film Showdown. I am James Kata and I am joined by the co-host solution Nick Boxer. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, you know what? I'm not here. I'm getting a beer. Uh, uh, continue without me for a minute. And the seven percent solution that is Jack Hall. I'm uh, I'm not feeling too good. I just threw up my kiki ki ma ma ma. And, uh, <laughs> Should, uh, shouldn't have that on an empty stomach. Ah, uh, uh, you really gotta learn. Foreign really foods like learn. that, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. You know, yeah. If you don't have a taste for for foreign food, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are the we are we are three quarters of the cult film showdown. Sixty uh, percent of the cult film showdown. Uh, if you count uh, the guy that left the show early, uh, and uh, we are watching. Back, don't worry. <laughs> I was. Oh yeah, we were yeah. worried. I Luckily, was. you're back to interrupt the middle of the show. <laughs> Masters of Horror was an anthology horror series that ran from 2005 to 2007, run by Nick uh, by Mick Garris, uh, featuring some of the greats of horror, uh, both uh, well. Uh, writers, directors, and uh, even some cast. So uh, we've been walking through this series. We are currently on season two, episode seven. We are we're in the home stretch, um, and uh, this is episode seven, the Screwfly Solution. And uh, we're going to ask Jack to tell us who our masters are this time. Well, uh, where do we start with this one? Uh... Three very interesting names on this one. Of course, it's directed by Joe Dante. Um, if you if you even need me to tell you who Joe Dante is, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, obviously, Gremlins and Gremlins 2, um, among his many, many works. The Burbs, another one horror comedy that, uh, that he's done. Piranha, mm. Um, mm. The Howling. Uh, the great film that that we need to someday try and put in the octagon. I'm not sure it might be too good for it, but it's awesome matinee. Uh, you know, um, we've seen him previously in uh, doing the my favorite episodes of season one, which was Homecoming, uh, season one of Masters of Horror. Um, Sam Ham wrote the uh, the screenplay. Sam Ham, best known for Batman, 1989's Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, as well as uh, numerous comic book scripts and uh, Never Cry Wolf, Monkey Bone, a couple other films that he's done. Has a credit on Batman Returns, though uh, the story that actually happened was uh, nowhere near what he had written and given to them. But nevertheless, has a has a credit on it. Sam Hamm uh, also uh, worked on, uh, on uh, Homecoming with Joe Dante in season one. And it's from a short story from uh, James Chiptree Jr., um, which was the pen name of Alice Braley Sheldon. Uh, though this story actually was done as, a, I believe, Raccoon Sheldon. Raccoon Sheldon. Uh, not Raccoon. Raccoon Sheldon. Um, fascinating. Fascinating character. Uh, largely worked in science fiction. Uh, there's a science fiction award even in her name. Um, member of the Science Fiction Hall of Fame uh, as of 2012. Uh, lived a fascinating life and a fascinating and tragic end. Uh, a movie should probably be made on 
James Tiptree's life, uh, Tiptree Jr.'s life. Uh, it would be for a fascinating movie or, or documentary. Um, I'm not going to get into it here, but it's something you, you could look up, and, and it's, it's uh, really quite amazing. So um, very deep, again, deep uh, roots on this one. Not necessarily horror roots, um, because Joe Dante, while he does work in horror, probably is more associated with the comedy. Um, Sam Hamm, more associated probably with the superhero genre. Um, of course, uh, Alice or James, whatever you want to go by. Uh, more associated with science fiction. But this is a story that I would say probably I would list more as science fiction than as horror, but is a very, very dark science fiction story. Yeah, there's this is one of the, go ahead, Nick. Um, I was just gonna say, I'm kind of surprised you left though Joe Dante's scariest film, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Uh, too frightening. Never Terrifies me. <laughs> oh, I want to watch The Burbs now. Just you mentioning it. It's, it's my younger brother's favorite movie. It's, um, it's a it holds up pretty damn well. Movie. I watched it just a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. such a fun movie. It's no matinee, but it's pretty damn good. God, matinee's good. Yeah, Satan the is book good. Right. Satan is my pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. Uh, Canada spotting is right up front here. Uh, Jason Priestley, Canadian treasure, uh, is uh, is is our lead is one of our leads here. Uh, and uh, uh, again, if you're under 30, we'll have to explain who Jason Priestley is. But otherwise, uh, you know, you just know. Jason Priestley, <laughs> again, I don't really associate him with horror, but I don't either. He, no, he is certainly somebody that is um, an actor who I find is very underappreciated. And uh, a legendary actor, Elliot Gould, also is in this. Uh, again, not really in horror, but. You know, obviously, when you play in, in movies like MASH and many other mm -hmm. legendary movies from the 70s and, and 80s and these different projects, I mean... Um, you have to explain who he is to anyone under 50. Yeah, well, there is yeah, if, if you're if you're under... He was yeah, in if Friends. You're, yeah, if you're, I was going to say, if you're under 50, he was Monica's dad on Friends. <laughs> <laughs> there's your, there's your check-in point. He was the old guy in Ocean's Eleven, yeah. <laughs> You've probably seen him playing an old Jewish man in in about twenty different things, and you're like, "Oh, that's who that guy is." No, and then the you're thinking of Judd Hirsch. We're talking Elliot Gould. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he's uh, he's who you call if Judd Hirsch is busy. Um, that's right. He's the other old Jewish guy. <laughs> All right, Nick, tell us what what is the screw fly solution? Well, this is a pandemic story. Um, the, um, the action takes place among a group of, or a family, rather, of epidemiologists. And if you don't know what I said or what I was trying to say, <laughs> that's a family that studies uh, germs and... Uh, diseases and there's a disease hitting the united states and the entire world for that matter that is screwing up men's sex drives to confuse aggression with sexual arousal 
and this disease is spreading across the world and men are just snapping and uh, killing women for no reason. I think uh, there is some bullshit about uh, it becoming sort of a religious act as well, but that's really not part of it. Um, it's just men start snapping and kill be killing people. We get a really interesting look at uh, what people thought a pandemic would look like before <laughs> we actually had a <laughs> pandemic. And I think we did really well compared to the predicted results. I was I was watching that thinking like this is a, a really chill like go like gl uh, like global killer uh, pandemic because <laughs> like <laughs> they didn't even shut down the planes man no no it's uh there's like even the people in the lab aren't wearing a mask they're like <laughs> there's like <laughs> well they do say there there's no sense of wearing the mask there, there's the only two ways to to um prevent this and it basically comes down to castration you know there's a pill that that's that uh, essentially performs castration without actual physical castration and then there's castration and and these are the only and of course all the men are like i'd rather kill the woman than castrate myself so nobody does that <laughs> Like if the choice is I'm, oh, I become a, a murderous a murderous human being who kills all the opposite sex, or I lose my balls, you're going down, lady. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is funny when the, it's just, yeah, the, the, way the general who says I'm not I'm not I'm not ordering my men to lose their manhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fascinating concept, and and so when you see that this the the uh, writer of this was james tiptree jr you'll have one thing in in mind when you would learn that that's actually a female um huh. who who wrote this i think it becomes it takes on a whole different context when you learn that this female was in reality uh had a complicated sexual history mm -hmm. let's say she's a very interesting story uh describing as women as the ones who light herself up and not men even though she's married and uh passed away with a suicide pact with her husband or perhaps a murder suicide nobody knows um like it it's it really like the stuff starts to flow and snowball and you start to really wonder about what's going on in the story and the different things and it, it like it, it it all takes on different contexts i actually found some of the like just production elements kind of disturbing having the two name actors men considering how female centric the story seems to be i found that problematic personally well the two main names are men but the the actual lead performers as the as it goes on are largely it's it's the wife of jason priest's character and the fact that this isn't a name performer i think actually helps the helps the thing because you don't have anything else in your head that would distract you from the character and the world that she's in. You don't have the fact that you're not looking at her going, oh, 90210, you know? Like you always yeah. kind of have that little bit with Jason Priestley. Yeah, you have an idea of, of who he, like, I mean, he plays against type for sure. Uh, like he's, oh, definitely. 
which is uh, I think it's it's an interesting uh, piece for him. He was uh, uh, he was directing a lot around this time. Um, so uh, he uh, it's interesting to see him take on like just uh, the the sole the acting role on its own. Um, but it like he it, suffered that that tragic car accident probably about this time, didn't he? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the uh, this would have been after. Okay. Because uh, okay. at first it feels like this is World War Z, where we're going to watch Jason Priestley running around the country trying to save everybody, uh, and that's that's not what the story is. Uh, that's that's just your that's your setup, but that's not what the what the movie is actually about. Um, and uh, it is interesting that as we hear as we see the people, uh, as we see the men talking without women present. Uh, as the as the story goes along, um, it really has this very this very threatening, but unfortunately very recognizable feel. Uh, I, I I was thinking during watching it, like I think that these guys may have uh, predicted incels. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what these guys feel like. Um, and uh, and there's there's some there's some subtle weirdness about. Um, uh, like, cause it's it, once the, once the women are gone, they start looking for who, who next to kill, which is also like, that opens up a whole can of worms. Um, you know yes, I mean? it's, it is the less masculine men. Mm -hmm. It's basically who the, the, the more masculine men decide that they'll get rid of next. Yeah. Um, and, and. Also, I mean, uh, Nick had mentioned when he's talking about it, the religious thing, which doesn't really play into it. I think that's just the idea that there's some sort of political statement, I, I guess. Uh, the idea I, that I think the, that's the just religious... foreshadowing the uh, twist ending. Perhaps. I think I think it's more that it's it's the idea that uh, the ultra-religious are the most repressed and therefore mm. uh, because they're the most repressed sexually, are they first to explode uh, you know, against the women. And uh, and have the the hate and the the first people you see exploding are, are a military and be the sexually repressed religious uh, types. Yeah, it's now, what was Elliot Gould's relationship with this family? Well, I he think worked he's a friend of the family. Wasn't yeah, he? he worked with Jason Priestley, and they had worked together for a very long time. I think he was like a mentor, uh, but they were basically partners. Um, because they had mentioned traveling together like multiple times. Yeah, and they had just come back from Africa yeah. where they had been, um, you know. Because I thought he was married to the stuff. mother until that one line that sort of established his sexuality later in the show. Well, and Bella's not the mother either. She's the, Bella's the, uh, like she works with the, with the Jason Priestley's wife. Yeah. No, she she worked with the because the. Oh wife no, she that's right. She was an epidemiologist too, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought the two of them were married. Yeah, but uh, but that's not the case. Um, and uh, it, yes, I mean so I can't fault I can't fault them too much. The family of epidemiologists that Nick described is in no way a family of epidemiologists. Is what we're saying? <laughs> they they just all work together. And and the and 
Jason Priest's wife is not an epidemiologist. Hey, um, if you have no, dinner with somebody in the first five minutes of a movie, you're a family. That's fair. Uh, I, I think that's another interesting element that's threaded into this is that uh, Jason Priestley's wife works at a women's shelter. Um, and uh, so there is that lens of that not everything that happens is a big surprise to her. Um, she's seen horrible things her entire career, so she starts seeing this on the like from the the victim's point of view immediately, um, where everyone else it's more abstract. Um, like because they they show a bit with her talking about how the shelter's just completely overwhelmed. They've got people basically sleeping in the hallways that like they can't take anymore, but no one neither can anyone else. Um, so yeah, it's a it, it just adds a, a bit of uh, an extra little thread of of uh, flavor to this surprisingly I like complex. They take the shot at Jackson. They started off in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. The like, oh, we're we're just going right there. Just that's that's where backward shit happens. Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> And nobody's really surprised. Yeah, it takes a while before they realize that this is an epidemic because it's in Jacksonville. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting how it it starts. The the bits that are hinted at pretty early on that it because it it starts as something that we could see in the news anytime where there's there's been um, some really horrific um, deaths happen in the like in and around Jacksonville, but then as they start looking they they start finding that there's a pattern um basically along the the gulf of mexico uh, is where they start seeing it um, in other cities along the gulf um but yeah it is that like it just three things happen that are all about jacksonville in the space of about 10 minutes and everyone's like oh maybe there's something weird going on in jacksonville <laughs> and I, I really like how they uh, take advantage of the short run time not to have really an established main character because you latch on to somebody and you think they're man the main character and then oh they're dead or oh they're out of the mm -hmm. show um i don't think you could do that in a longer format you need somebody to follow but i mean bella gets it rather early and i thought she was going to be a really huge character in this the the economic made her death very effective, I thought. And mm. and oh no, know, I loved it. I just yeah, I I just the, don't think it would work in a longer format. And I I'm, I like. I'm they not recognize sure about it. that. I'm not sure about that. And because, I mean, Joe Dante had been wanting to do this story for many many years and wanted to do it as a feature length film before he finally was able to do it in this format, which is why this format existing masses of horror existing was such a wonderful thing because it gave uh, so many directors and writers an opportunity to tell the story that they'd been wanting to tell for years and could not get made. But they, now they, they turned, were able to turn into a television series, a uh, television show. That happened numerous times over the, the uh, two years that this show was on the air. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful thing that unfortunately was lost when it went off. And even though it did spin off into kind of a sub-series, uh, you know, fear itself. Um, but I think that this is this would have been even more effective had it been a full length film. Um, See, I, I think if it was a full length film, the third act with the mother and daughter would have been so huge and overwhelming, it would have taken over the whole thing. 
And I think, I think it would have been the, about 15 the more minutes. important part is in the beginning. I think it would have been about 15 minutes. I just think you would have had more uh, effect of seeing, instead of suddenly every man is just a dick, I think you would have seen a more progressive uh, uh, kind of rollout of the aggression and the different things. And the Jason Priestley character would have seemed like the main character for longer before the twist that he isn't. Uh, kind of comes um, in the middle to near the end. I, 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 you might have lost what you had mentioned that uh, that uh, it was more effective because you didn't have like you had what seemed to be a main character suddenly not be the main character, and you might have lost that. But I think you would have gained other things if it had been a full length, uh, you know, movie. But either way, I'm glad it got made because. I, I loved it. I thought this was fantastic. Just so well done. And so on Joe Dante in that it didn't have the quirky humor. It is just a dark science fiction story. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, the, it's so economical in its uh, in its production because it like, it fits so much story and so many layers in in this like short runtime. Um like just without feeling crowded either. Like it doesn't feel shoved down your throat. Like you, like he lets you see things happen as opposed to explaining them. Uh, like you see the evolution of how men talk about women change throughout the the runtime, especially the first half hour, um, just a bit by a bit. Um, but there's no like there's no character that stops and explains that to you. You just you can see very quickly. Um, it's not a 1950s uh, science fiction film with the uh, one character who explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget about the decent amount of nudity in this. Yes, surprising. Uh, you know, a scene in a strip club it led to some nudity that uh, I was not expecting, but, uh, you know, certainly enjoyed. And that daughter's a pervert. <laughs> She's gone on to become I, quite I've a never, voice actress. I've actually. never heard my parents make love, but if I did, I'm not calling my friend to listen. Not going, they're doing it. Yeah, no, that was weird. I, uh, mixed feelings. My parents didn't look like that. Uh. <laughs> and if you want to see Jason Pre uh, Presley's pubes, we got it in this. They shy away from the full frontal, but there are pubes. Yeah, I didn't notice that. To be honest, fifty-year-old female audience just shut off. The I podcast. feel different about the whole episode. <laughs> I guess I'm just mentioning that because this did not. This felt like a movie, not a short movie, but still a movie rather than just an episode of TV. Um, this is this was a event viewing for me. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Like I say, uh, I, do we want to get into the ending? I mean, do we want to get, we advise everybody to watch the episode before listening to the show. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to give away kind of too much here. But I it's don't difficult think we have to mention what the twist is. I think we can discuss whether it was necessary or not. Well, it's definitely necessary. It, it wrapped everything up and made sense uh, why the epidemic had happened and, and uh, just well, it, bring, you know. it, it brings us full circle to the title of the of the piece. I mean, that's kind of um, the the screw fly solution is is talking about how the screw fly um, uh, was eradicated, and it was eradicated by basically 
breaking its reproductive cycle. Um, they master the reproductive cycle by. Uh, they, they give a nice explanation at the beginning, but it's. Uh, but it's basically that you only have to kill one generation to completely eliminate uh, a species. Um, you can do it all at once. Um, and uh, uh, maybe uh, it, it this it's strange that this is, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago and. Uh, um, <laughs> it, as you go back further, you find that at all times people thought it was about to be the apocalypse. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and and that, uh, but in the 21st century, we've decided that and we've, we've come to terms with that's probably not terrible. <laughs> we're, we're pretty we're pretty awful. Um, maybe, <laughs> you know, if it happens, it happens. I'm not I'm not helping it along, but. <laughs> yeah, we're not really not doing that well, are we? <laughs> I I think the only thing uh, the only thing that's dated is that it took uh, an outside force. Um, there, I, I noticed there was this news story uh, as I record this news story a few days ago about someone who got a hold of an AI and then said, "I wonder if this AI can just destroy the world. Uh, maybe I'll ask it." And I'm like, how long did we have AI before we just asked it if you can wreck the world? Like we we don't need people. I'm just going to ask this AI if they can get rid of people. Yeah, I think that's what everybody's expecting is going to eventually do it anyway. So that makes sense. <laughs> no, but it is true. I mean, without giving away the twist ending, you can say that the entire idea is that is to wipe out all of humanity. Mm -hmm. If you get rid of all the women, the men can't reproduce, and the men will turn on each other as well. And you completely somebody has said. This isn't working. We're going to start over or we're going to wipe it completely clean and do whatever. We won't say who's the one who did that or anything without giving it away. Yeah. But that is the point. So, I mean, that needed to be there. But wouldn't it have been just as effective if they had made it the man-made solution for the bugs that they mentioned in the beginning uh, mutated to humans or something? some reason, I think, that, I think it would have been just the fact that that ending I enjoyed because it was weird and nice. Um, but I don't think it was necessary for the overall story. Right, we're going to give away the twist ending here. Right. Um, it It's aliens who have decided that as a species we're not working. The idea that we would do the same thing as an experiment to uh, to a bug or a different species, especially years ago, and decide that they're not working and, and just to see if we could. The idea that there's somebody who's that much more evolved than us who would do it to us, I think is is very effective. Uh, that we're not the we're not nearly the advanced species that we think we are in our heads. That think, uh, there's something else out there that's, that views that us as just bugs. I think that that's the the element that would um, really, that the extra time would work more. Like I think, as opposed, looking at the other elements, I like the I like the tightness of it. The one thing that more screen time would give you is more time to play out some of those other ideas, uh, because it's there's a there's a quick hint that things that our main character that are that uh, uh, Elliot Gould and Jason Priestley have done. Like there's a quick a, a quick. Uh, Oh, do you mean you guys did this? Like, no, no, no. We mean something like what we were doing, <laughs> but not us. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I think if they had pronounced the angel sightings a little bit more throughout, I think I would have found the ending more satisfying. I think, yeah, I think that that's like that's the one thing that it, it's not a it's not a flaw of this. It's it's just what like where I think you could go with with longer runtime is to have a few other um, paths to follow. Um, I think that. I think that they don't necessarily I don't think they necessarily have to tell you why um, because you like there's lots of these stories that structure around not needing to know why um, it's just not that story this is a this very this feels like a short story ending like it, it feels like the way a lot of horror short stories are that there's like horror and sci-fi stories where it's going along and then oh it's uh it's it's Bigfoot um <laughs> just in the last two paragraphs. No, that would have been a good twist. <laughs> that um, would have been a cool twist, yes. I would have if it was Bigfoot all along. Then we could have put it in the octagon. But then uh, but I mean Twelve Monkeys is is basically the same kind of thing, but done with but done with just nihilists, just people who think that the human race probably should end. Um and uh because that's that's the structure, it, it, and you know, Twelve Monkeys has that time to play out other theories, other ideas of what could cause this. Because they don't know what the beginning. Um, I love Twelve Monkeys, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's it, it is an interesting idea that it's uh, that it's very focused on, um, like it's just got that that extra level of men versus women and. Um, all that goes with that. Um, and like I say, when you see a male name as the author, yeah. who actually is female, who has this complicated history, it, it just, the layers just start to really unfold at, yeah. at an even greater level. Um, one of the things is I thought it was aliens, and Nick had mentioned uh, angels. Is it aliens or angels? It could be the one, I suppose. Oh, it, it was definitely aliens it just they mention alien uh angels several times yeah as there were angel sightings which i took in uh as interpretations of the aliens yeah the boy says that the like the boy that's hanging out with all the dudes in the in the like the big fat guy in the beginning who uh uh kills the first lady doesn't says it too have oh, okay. you seen the angels they're nothing like you think mm. Yeah, yeah. God spoke to me was often one of the things that we heard right early in the early in the episode. Yeah, and the yeah, because the boy says that he like he saw the angels out in the woods um, as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's like I think as you were saying with the the part of re how religion plays into this, um, like you need some f like as a person you need a framework that makes sense um, and. Um, everything fits into your whole worldview and if you if your worldview includes that angels are a real thing then you're going to interpret that as angels um if you if your worldview doesn't have that but it does have space aliens it's going to be space aliens pretty fast uh so i think that that's kind of how because they, they make a point of one of the characters saying like this isn't about religion that's just a symptom yeah yeah that's true uh, it's like it, yeah, it's a side effect of what's going on because it's how people on it's how people just work it through in their head. Um, well, it's amazing how this discussion is uh, affecting my uh, 
interpretation because at the beginning I thought it was just a really strong episode. Now I'm thinking it's one of my favorites. It, it's one of my favorites, absolutely. It's it's so layered, and I mean it's it's it it's where we're often having fun and talking about. Hey, this has good kills and good gore, good nudity, or whatever we're talking about, and we're having fun with it. This one really forces an intellectual discussion about the topic matter and the and the actual episode itself. It forces us to do that instead of and and analyze it differently. Um, really, just absolutely, extremely well acted, extremely well written, extremely well well directed. Just spectacular episode uh i mean even the choices like you're never really sure when the sickness takes over because i mean uh in areas that are supposedly not affected you still have pigs of men that's right like yeah um yeah i mean yeah you don't you don't know when they're being affected and when they're just an asshole um (laughs) and that's that's what makes them dangerous um, and that plays both in the real world and in this story that um, you don't know which guy's just talking. Um, if like, as you know, if you're a woman, you don't know which guy's just a loudmouth and who's actually dangerous, uh, and who appears to be safe but isn't. Yeah, yeah, there is that element of uh, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, they do they do have that element of. Um, of family violence that is brought in by the by one of our main characters working in that world uh, that uh, that plays into how everyone gets gets uh, gets seen and how this like sickness develops um, because everything makes perfect sense to the person who's infected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's just the I think it's the meatiest episode out of uh, out of the lot. I mean, this is what. This is the kind of thing that makes that sci-fi does incredibly well. Um, like it's well, it's asking I, just what I is the picture. How much I loved Homecoming, but Homecoming—that's I think what hope, this is what Homecoming uh, hoped to achieve. And now I can look back; it actually weakens that episode because this episode actually achieved much of what that episode wanted to. Yeah. Well, I think we, yeah when we were talking about Homecoming, it it really felt like. I mean, certainly there was a political statement about the division of of right and left in the U.S. A little heavy handed, but it was yeah. I think that that's that it was uh, it was both heavy handed and in hindsight a bit naive um, mm-hmm. that it that it would be as like you know black hats and white hats as that as that story was um, that it's. Uh, um, that really, that the, the that the bad guy knows that they're bad is what happened in that, and the and in the real world, the bad guy thinks he's the good guy, um, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, saying that, I have no idea if I, I'm, I'm someone else's bad guy for story. sure. Um, Everyone is a hero in their own story, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually even like how Joe Dante seems to take a shot at Masters Roar itself <laughs> by including um, a shot of imprint. In the arousal test. Yeah, that was. Oh, neat. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that's just because they own the footage, but that's a neat. Uh, I didn't notice that. We're just as guilty as the thing we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Within, within this, this episode. Yeah, that's that's very clever, actually. That's, uh, you know, uh, good point, Nick. Very, 
very good point. Like I say, it could be just that they own the footage, but the idea that that there's a deeper layer even to that is, mm -hmm. you know, he's else. a smart man. Uh, Indeed, yeah. Yeah, let's hope for Gremlins three. We'll always hope for that. <laughs> we waiting and waiting. You know what? I prefer a non Warner Brothers uh, Joe Dante film. Just that I think the name is just a little too much. I want to hear what Joe Dante has to say, not what other people want Joe Dante to say. I don't understand your. In, not, in, as far as think, Gremlins? I think he's saying not a franchise. He doesn't want it to not be. Not a franchise film is what I'm saying. It's his franchise film, though. He made the first two, so he'd be making this one. Yes, but the, the powers that be would want a Gremlins film. They won't want. A Joe Dante's Gremlins film. It'll be. I don't know about six. that. Both I, of the first I, two were Joe Dante Gremlins film. How about how about Jack can can wish for it, despite the fact that it's unlikely to ever happen. Um, so he can wish it to be anything he wants it to be, given that it's not going to be a thing anyway. True. Um, True. <laughs> I what I, I I agree with Nick that just uh, another Joe Dante thing uh, is all is always great. Um, if he's going to return to something, I think the Burbs could stand an update. <laughs> <laughs> what is it last? Is the is that Joe uh, Looney Tunes back in action? Is that his latest film? Like what year was that? Like mid mid two thousands? Um, yeah, uh, actually, it might be early 2000s. Humorously, he's working on a uh, TV series about the Gremlins. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! There you go. Uh, it's been it, there's a little bit of a gap. Uh, it, some TV episodes here and there. That's uh, uh, including an episode of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I'll have to look to see what episode that is. Uh, what's the? It looks like the last. Feature was burying the X. If I'm seeing this correctly, burying uh, the X. 2014. Yeah. Uh, okay. What year yeah, was uh, Looney Tunes? If you're just curious, Looney Tunes 2003 for Looney Tunes back in action. So before this, before he did Master's okay. Horror. Okay. Quite a while ago. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I mean, uh, he's one of those guys. He doesn't need to work all the time. He's uh, his legacy is set. Oh yeah, I mean, Trailers from Hell has him. Is that still I going on? on? Are they still doing Sorry? new trailers? Are they still doing new trailers from Hell? Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Anything last? I mean, the Canada spotting you mentioned, Jason Priestley. Other than that, the fact that it says things like in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> Yeah, she she flees she flees to Canada pretty fast. So, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, we have, we, have, uh, we have Vancouver doubling for uh, for Northern Ontario, which is not a that's not a normal switch, but um, <laughs> we've got Burnaby. Yeah, I neither guess. is her man costume. So <laughs> it's <laughs> they did the best they could. <laughs> it's the kind of like costumed as a man that you see in like Charlie Chaplin movies um, where like the audience the audience isn't supposed to be fooled at all um, they, but assume that the characters in the story are uh. <laughs> unless, and, unless they are <laughs> yeah, they, excellent yeah. episode I would give it I, would, I, yeah. it I think it may be the best we've seen yet 
Um, it's, yeah, it's terrific. It's got everything. It's got it's intelligent, great acting, great writing, great directing, nudity. It's it's really there's nothing that <laughs> it doesn't hit. <laughs> Actually, is there anything with the Elliot Gould in it that you haven't said that's the best of whatever it is? No. Um maybe his his uh I, I believe he played uh um Philip Marble Marlowe once in The Long oh, Goodbye. Yeah, oh, that's that, good though. It's good. It's just not Humphrey Bogart. Maybe good. not the best, yeah. yeah but, but it's but, good yeah. still. Yeah, that's you're 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 pretty much all it's you're in the also ran if uh, Humphrey Bogart um, is the most famous version of the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no man Benedict Cumberbatch. He was he was great compared to Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he he can just he can be good on his own, but uh yeah, don't you know, don't have to put everything on a on a on a chart. Scale to, uh, yeah, exactly. You don't have to compare <laughs> everything. Sometimes just accept things for what they are and, and enjoy them. I, I know Basil Rathbone's not making any more, so I might as well watch whoever's doing it now. So uh, my <laughs> final question to you guys is: uh, Who would win in a fight, Elliot Gould or Judd Hirsch? Like, uh, we put him in a boxing ring, twelve rounds, and say, "Go at it." Who's who's uh, coming out on top there? Who's the toughest? Uh, uh, Elliot Gould. Gould. <laughs> Elliot Elliot Gould. I, but I always think of Elliot Gould in Mash, and I always think of Judd Hirsch in in Independence Day. So, <laughs> not really, I'm not really having this match happen on an even playing field. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Judd, you just realize now that Independence Day came out like 1996, and he's really old in that film. <laughs> <laughs> he plays Jeff Goldblum's dad in a movie that's 25 years old. <laughs> 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 wow His that's amazing father, um, yeah 25 years ago yeah. <laughs> fantastic well this was a lot of fun and this uh yeah this this episode was one of the ones that makes this all worthwhile um so the cult uh, we are the cult film showdown you can support us on patreon uh just search cult film showdown and uh, we are on instagram and we're sponsored by we talk podcast.com the home of the octagon and that is our search for the ultimate B movie. And we talk podcasts is on Facebook and they are on Twitter. And uh, please subscribe and rate uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, and uh, drop us a note on YouTube. We love hearing what uh, people think of what we're doing. And also leave us a note of what you would like us to do next because we only have uh, six episodes to go in Masters of Horror. The next up is episode eight. So which was that? How many episodes do you think if we have six to go, what's our what's our uh, episode to nudity ratio that we're looking at here? What are we Oh we're gonna make uh, a prediction on that? Yeah, I just I'm just wondering <laughs> I, if I look at who's coming up. Who do, uh, that that's that's yeah, you're you're you got your your thumb on the on the scale there if you're uh, if you're checking who, which director's coming up. I'm just thinking that Argento has already done this. Uh, eh, we've had the, the Argento of the uh, season. We got so. a few though. We got. A, <laughs> I'm gonna go four six. Maybe. I'm gonna but, say four uh, six. Tom four. Holland maybe, but uh, Stuart Gordon definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, we we got we. I think we might be at a fifty fifty ratio. Didn't we already do our student Stuart Gordon this? 
Yeah, season? no, he, that was season one. Family was season one? Family was on Landis. Oh, okay. Thought it was, yeah, okay. Okay, so, uh, so Jack says three of six. I say four of six. Um, I have to go three of six, have 50% ratio. All right. Well, there is another Japanese uh, director coming up. So that, that I don't know if that's a yes or no. That's probably a yes. Well, there's we got, two. We, as, as always, we play prices right rules. So uh, closest to without going over. So if, uh, if, it is, if it is three or three and a half, you guys win. Okay. So in other words, if it's I, a, the one breath like we saw from Argento. That's right. If there's just the one nipple, then it counts as a half an episode. I win. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Let's go one nipple. If, you never. That's if, not a sentence you usually hear me say. Let's go one nipple. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> there's some guys All like right, side guys. boob. Jack likes just the one, just the one boob. Uh... <laughs> But no, no nudity up top also counts as half. <laughs> All right. Next up is uh, season two, episode eight, Valerie on the Stairs. And we will talk to you next time. Just based on the title alone, you think nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie on the Stairs.